0: Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. we love to stay standing for the reading of the word to show honor to the Lord and his word because it is holy and it is relevant and it is alive and active. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 today. If you have Matthew 5 or you want to follow along on the screen, but you're ready, say let's go. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray before we're seated today. Father, again, we come to you as your children, and we're asking God that you would reveal to us exactly what you want to say to us, that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We open our hearts to receive this word. May this word that is a seed be planted deep into our heart. We hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you, Lord. But we open our hearts to receive it so well, God, that it springs forth and bears fruit a hundredfold, God, and that it would draw people into you, the fruit of my life. As they see Jesus in me and through me and the fruit that I bear, God, they would taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, Father, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated today. So we've been taking time now to look through the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is found in all the gospel accounts, but we're looking at it through Matthew's gospel because Matthew organizes it very well in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And it will take you about 15 minutes to read it. I would encourage you, if you haven't read it yet, read it because there's some life-changing principles in the text of those three chapters are jam-packed. It's uh, some would say the best sermon ever written. And if it's in 12 minutes, it's gotta be a good sermon. I like those 12-minute sermons, Okay. And, uh, and so Jesus lays down this new kingdom. He tells them that this kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is right now. And we've been learning that the kingdom of heaven is a right now reality and also a not yet fulfillment. And so we have access right now. We see in the mirror dimly, but once soon we'll see face to face. And that when Jesus comes back, when the clouds split open and he calls for his saints and we're caught up with him in the heavens, and we're going to see him face to face. But right now we get a taste of heaven that while we're in the earth, we don't have to live the way the earth lives. You see, we're aliens. We're just passing through. And so we are exiles and we don't belong here. And, uh, and so we're learning, what does it look like for us as Christians who have been called out? We've been pulled out of this. How does it look like in our life? How does it play out for us to live in the kingdom of heaven and Jesus starts the sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. It's the blessings. Blessed are you, happy are you, fulfilled are you, when? And he lays it all out. And we learn that these Beatitudes, they're building off of each other. That it's just building up and building up. And and if it's building, then it's got to get to a grand finale, right? And today we're at that grand finale where he says, when you live these types of ways, blessed are you one through seven, you're going to get number eight. And that is, blessed are you when you are persecuted. And you persecuted, like I didn't sign up for that one. Like that's not what I, what I thought Christianity was going to be about, right? You, has anybody seen any persecuted scriptures on, on, on Facebook? Or is your tag reference a uh, persecuted uh, scripture? Or do you, do you put it on your wall? Like, no, you don't see those kind of scriptures. But the reality is, is that this text is full of, of scriptures that tell us that when we forsake the world for the cause of Christ and we live out this book right here, there will be persecution. There will be suffering. There will be opposition. And so we see here that Jesus is showing them something so countercultural. And now as we zoom in on these, uh, this last blessing, if you will, some separate it and say there's nine Beatitudes. Some say there's eight and they put them together. For today's text and since it's so countercultural and so radical and I don't even want to experience persecution let's let's put them together and act like God just gives us a double blessing if we are persecuted because he says in verse 10 and verse 11 blessed so maybe if we're living out this life and we experience uh, persecution maybe we'll get a double blessing okay <laughs> maybe it'll help us a little bit but this text that we're zooming in on today tells us that blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, he goes on to tell you what that looks like. Blessed are you when others revile you. I love that word there. It actually means like they're, they're growling at you, like a, like a dog would, showing their teeth at you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so the Bible's clear that we are going to be persecuted. He didn't say, when, or he didn't say if you are, he said when you are persecuted. Just some other scriptures just to show you. There's so many, but uh, we see some in Timothy first or second Timothy, actually chapter three tells us, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. I didn't sign up for that one. I thought it would say like, we'll be rich or something, or all those who who desire to live a godly life will be blessed or, uh, you know, have favor or, you know, be protected, not persecuted, but Jesus explains why in, in, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. He says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's saying that since you now have surrendered over to Christ, you've come from darkness to light. He's like, I'm snatching you out of this, out of the darkness, out of the grip of sin and depression and and all the things that, that keeps you bound. He said, and the world don't like that. They don't like the fact that you're close to me. They don't like the fact that you have a relationship with me. They don't like the fact that you've been set free. And so they hate you. I don't know about you, but I didn't sign up for that. When I I gave my life to Christ, I didn't know that. Maybe for you, you did. Maybe somebody told you that when you give your life to Jesus, you're gonna be persecuted. I honestly didn't know. I I wanted the blessings. I wanted the promises. I wanted all that God had. I thought that by adding Jesus to my life, it would just make life easier. Can I just be transparent? When I gave my life to Christ in 2005, I just thought, My life is horrible. I need to add a little Jesus to it and it's just going to be great. He's going to solve all my problems. I wanted the blessing, but I didn't want that breaking. I didn't want the persecution. I wanted the promises of God. But then when I opened up the word and I began to study it, I realized that one of his promises is you're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer for righteousness sake. You're going to to face opposition because the world's going to hate you if you live according to this. Does anybody still want to be a Christian today? Come on, have you counted the cost? Does the cost of Christ, does the the glory of the Lord outweigh anything that the world will throw at you? It does. It does. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, when when you experience his glory and behold his majesty, then it doesn't matter what the world does to me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so, so this text is telling us that with, there is no comfortable Christianity. That when Jesus called you, the call of Christianity wasn't a call of comfort and come and just enjoy. It was a call of crucifixion. to follow me to the cross. And so as followers of Jesus, we've got to fix our theology on suffering. So often the church doesn't want to talk about suffering. But these, these scriptures are full of suffering. Of loss. And the Bible would tell us that, that anyone who has experienced loss, they've lost family, houses, homes, possessions for the sake of the gospel, will not only receive so much in this life, but so much more in the life to come, eternal life. And so while there is persecution, while there's trouble, while we will experience opposition, there is a reward. To this, and it is eternal life. It is a heavenly reward. Reward that when you uh, when you live the Christian life and you're persecuted, it says, "Great is your reward in heaven." It's just racking it up, racking it up, racking it up. Your reward in heaven is great, and so we endure for this. And so Jesus tells them, tells them that if you live for this gospel, if you live for this message, you will experience persecution and you might say well Michael I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've never experienced persecution Michael I've given my life to Christ I've I've done all the things I've lived in this world and I I'm, I'm safe I'm protected this is America I've never experienced that well if that's you today can I just encourage you that maybe maybe your light's not shining in the darkness as much as it should Because if you are letting your light shine in the darkness, the darkness will hate you. There will be opposition. Maybe we're not fulfilling the great commission like we should be, taking it into the the world, to all nations. And so this call of Christianity, if we're gonna live this out, if we're gonna be obedient to this, then we are gonna experience persecution. And so today, what I would like to do is It's to take it from a different angle. Today, honestly, the message is a little different. I'm looking at the text from a different angle. And I want to help us today because when we stand up in our country, we stand up in our nation, we stand up in our city, when we stand up and we live out this, friends, I hate to say it, but we're going to be persecuted. We live in a time right now in America that we're not protected because we're American. This isn't a Christian nation. This is not even a post-Christian nation. This is an anti-God nation. This is anti-Christian nation. And if you live this out, you will experience persecution. And so what I would like for us to do today is for us to be prepared for it. I want us to be prepared for persecution because if you are prepared for it, it helps with your response to it. That if I can prepare for what's coming, that I know how to appropriately respond to the persecution. I know how to respond to it. And so we're going to talk about preparing for persecution. And as we all think about persecution, our mind immediately goes to places over the ocean, across the world, places in the Middle East or in Asia or, or places like that where they are experiencing extreme persecution. That when they give their life to Christ, they have to count the cost. Because that when they give their life to Christ in many places around this world, that means that they, have, they lose their family. They lose their inheritance. They are exiled. They are hated. They are persecuted. They are stoned. They, they risk death and imprisonment. I know when Tony, my wife, Tony, and myself were missionaries in Vietnam, it, it is against the law to preach the gospel it, 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 the underground church is, is all thriving in Vietnam, but you can't just erect a church and, and have church like we're doing right here. They, they had to count the cost. And as we were ministering and discipling and talking to people, every single story, every one of them, was that when I gave my life to Christ, I left everything. I left my parents, my family. I left my inheritance. I left my friends. Everybody hates me because I turned to Jesus Christ. And I just have to wonder. I wonder about myself that if I was to experience that great of loss and that much persecution and risk imprisonment and risk being beaten, would I still say yes to Jesus? And so today we have to be understanding and realize that persecution is the reality for Christians. That some 365 million 365 million Christians were persecuted for their faith last year. That 5,000 Christians died because of their faith in 2023. 5,000 confirmed, documented. You'll read some, some statistics, they'll say 100,000 died, but they're just estimating. They're, that I know of confirmed statistics from Open Door, that website that tells you, they, they, they confirm it all. 5,000 Christians lost their life last year because of their faith. Attacks on churches have skyrocketed in 2023. Matter of fact, there's, it's sixfold. It's up sixfold. Persecution on Christians is up sixfold from 22 to 23. That almost 15,000 churches or church properties were targeted last year. That in China, over 10,000 churches were closed. That in India, churches are being raided by violent, violent mobs. That in Algeria, there was only 47 Protestant churches. Now there's only four. And so the reality of persecution is real. Maybe it's not a reality for your world, but it is a reality for so many across this planet. And so it's our goal today to prepare for what's coming, to prepare for the persecution. And God, we're going to pray that it doesn't happen. We're going to pray that we don't have to suffer like the people around the globe, the people in India, the people in the Middle East. But as I was looking at stories and testimonies and reading of all these people that have endured so much suffering, you know what their prayer was? Their prayer wasn't, God help me, God get me out of this. I read more than once that their prayer was help the American church realize what is coming. People who are losing their life for the sake of the gospel are praying for you. They're praying for me that we would open our eyes and see the path that we're heading down. Now, I told you it's a little different today, but I want us to talk about that and prepare for persecution. And maybe for you, you're, you're, you have a little narrow-minded view of persecution like I used to have, where I wasn't experiencing persecution unless somebody was trying to shoot me or hang me or stone me or you know, torture me. But let's define that today. What is persecution? Persecution simply is any hostility, any hostility, any kind of opposition that you experience as a result of proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. It can look different around the globe. It can look different here in America. Millions of people face it every single day and some face rejection, isolation. Some are shamed or some are lied about or some are cut off from their people. Others are denied basic necessities like water and food and health care. And yes, some do experience violence, abuse, and imprisonment, and even death for their faith. So we see that, that persecution is a broad term. That's why Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 clarified a little bit of it for us and tells us when they utter things against you and revile you and slander you and, and lie about you, that is also persecution. And so when we experience it, why would we experience it? Why would we experience this? Because maybe you're saying, well, I'm a good person, Michael. People like me. Why would I experience persecution? Well, it tells us you're gonna experience it for righteousness sake. That when you live righteous, holy, the right way of living, when you live God's way, you're going to experience persecution. So persecution is not when somebody just doesn't like you. Persecution is not even when you get put in Facebook jail. That's not persecution. Persecution is when you live out this word, you live righteous, and then people come against you for that. And so we see, we see, we've been seeing for weeks now what it means to live righteous. As we go through these beatitudes and add these to our life and, and make these who we are, that is righteous living. And so we see that when we live righteous, holy, God's way, then we'll experience persecution. And today I want to help us understand better while we're persecuted. And so I want to make this point. Persecution is not personal, but it's spiritual. Persecution, though the person is real, though the pain is real, though you can see it, the root cause of persecution is not a personal difference that we might have, but it's spiritual. It is a spirit behind them that is causing that persecution. Because behind every attack, Every attack on a Christian is a spirit. And so I want to help us see that because we're in this spiritual battle and we've been talking about that spiritual battle that we're in. And so when somebody comes against you, they're not mad at you. They're mad at the God in you. That when they come against you and attack you for righteousness sake, they're not mad at Michael. They're mad at the Jesus that lives in you because there's a war going on in the heavenlies. And so it's not that person. And I want to help us see that today, that it's not that person, that that person is not your enemy, that that person is a human just like you, but the Holy Spirit lives you. It lives in you, and the Holy Spirit doesn't live in them. And our, and our goal is for us to, to live, live our life so bright that even when they are persecuting us, hating us, reviling us, uttering all kinds of things against us, that they would still see the goodness of God in us and they would be drawn into it. That's why Jesus gives us these instructions. Look at Matthew chapter five, verse 44, reading ahead a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And then on in Romans, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Why? Because we wanna live in such a way that even though they're persecuting us, that they can see Jesus in us and through us, and they too can have a Damascus Road experience, just like Paul did. You see, Saul was known for killing Christians and putting them in jail, but he had an encounter with Christ that changed his life forever, and that's God's goal for them as well. And so as we prepare for this, I want us to be able to respond appropriately to it, to know that it's coming, but also to be able to pray for them and bless them and not curse them To to pray that they would have an encounter with Christ too, and they would surrender over to him and change their life as well. And so we're going to be persecuted if we stand for righteousness. And as I search the scriptures, I don't have to look far for illustrations and stories and examples of people who have faced extreme persecution. But for our time today, I want us to focus on the book of Daniel. We're going to read a lot in the book of Daniel over these next 10 minutes. But if we will lean into what the scriptures are saying, we're actually going to see the tactic of the enemy. Because history is cyclical. It just keeps on on repeating itself, right? And so we're going to see that the plan of the enemy, he ain't very smart. It just keeps repeating itself. He just comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we're going to get to see how the enemy took over a culture in Daniel chapter 1, and it's the same way that he takes it over today. And so whenever we want to prepare, prepare and see that the enemy's coming in against us, against our culture and trying to turn us away from God, we can look at Daniel and we can see clearly how he does it. So I want to help us today look at that. Let me set the context. Daniel and his friends, they, they, um, they stood up for God. They stood up for righteousness. They stood up for the right ways and they experienced some very extreme persecution Maybe you're familiar with the story of the fiery furnace, right? Or Daniel and the lion's den. They experienced some extreme persecution, but it's important for us to know that that persecution didn't just happen overnight. That there was a process leading up to that persecution. And I want us to discover that process so that we too can be aware of what the enemy has planned. And as we read this, it's gonna be very easy for you to draw the parallels between what's happening in their culture and what's happening in our culture. Some of these things, most of these things have already happened, but I want us to be aware of them. Go to Daniel chapter one, verse one. In Daniel chapter one, verse one, it tells us that the Babylonians have overcome the Jews and take them, taken them captive. It says right there, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That means they surrounded it and wouldn't let them out. And so it came in and they just infiltrated the culture. They came in and they they took over the culture. And so all throughout the Bible, the Babylonians represent people who are against the one true God. We need to establish that because Babylonians are people that are against, they are anti-Jehovah. They are anti-the one true God. And the Jews are God's children. They worship only the one true God. Okay, so we have this Babylonian culture that has now surrounded. The people of God. All right. And watch what their tactic is. It says that it besieged it. So it wouldn't let them out. That means that they, they, it wouldn't let them out and it made their culture come in. And so what, what was happening was that the Babylonian culture was coming into the places of worship. It was coming into God's house, to the people's house, into the marketplace. And what it was doing was infiltrating the culture the first tactic of, of somebody who's anti-God, the first tactic of the enemy, the first tactic of a culture that is against the one true God, the first thing they'll do is they'll infiltrate the culture. They'll surround it and then they'll infiltrate it. And we see that taking place in the scriptures. They infiltrated it. And, and it doesn't take long for us to, to draw the parallel that you could say that what's caused us to be an anti-God culture is that that we have allowed it to infiltrate us, that people that are against our God has made their way into our everyday life. I would go so far to say that it's made it into our churches. People who are against God have made it into our churches. And we see in Daniel chapter one, we see that this Babylonian culture is coming in and taking over. And they're telling the Jews, there's not just one God, there's many gods. And you don't have to bow down to that one God. You can bow down to this God and you can do this and you can do that. And they're beginning to turn away from the one true God. And so we see that it's the first step. The first step to make a Christian nation anti-Christian is to infiltrate the Christian culture. And so they've been infiltrated. They're worshiping idols They're breaking down the the temples. They're bringing again their idol worship. They're destroying the church. They're dictating how they can worship. They're telling them, yes, you can do this, and no, you can't do that. And so the culture has been compromised. And once the culture has been compromised, we get to see what happens next. Keep reading with me in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It says that he commanded his chief eunuch to bring some people of Israel. So he's taken some people captive, both of the royal family and of nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So the next plan, once you infiltrate, the next thing that he did was was he took captive a group of people. And who were the group of people that he took captive? He took the youth. So once you infiltrate a culture, the next thing you do is indoctrinate the youth. You indoctrinate the children. The Bible says that they took them and they taught them their ways. They taught them their ways. Can you see the the comparison of what we live in today. There's a culture that wants to overwhelm the people of God, that there's a generation that the enemy would love to take captive and to move away from the one true God. And a lot of times we're unaware of the plan of the enemy. We're unaware of what happens in our children's lives. We're unaware of what they're being taught and what they're exposed to in the culture with social media, with school, everything. We're just unaware of everything, but we see. The tactic, plainly, we see what the enemy wants to do. He wants to infiltrate, and then he wants to indoctrinate. And when we see that, we're on the road to persecution like the Jewish people were. They were on the road to persecution. And so it says that he taught them in the ways of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans. Who's the Chaldeans? Well, yes, it was a people group, but also the Chaldeans represented demons. The Chaldeans... Represented demons. Look it up. When you look up in different Bible dictionaries that describe different people in the Bible, many of the Bible dictionaries under the word Chaldean says as it was demons, demons. And so, not all. and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Chaldeans. And so, the Jewish culture would even say that Chaldeans were some of the first people to be demon possessed that it all originated from the Chaldeans, that the demons were the first, Chaldeans were the first people they embodied. And so when he took the youth captive and he taught them in the ways of the Chaldean, it wasn't just science, math, and arithmetic. He was teaching them in the ways of a demonic teaching that's anti-God. We gotta be aware of it. We gotta understand that when an anti-God culture comes in and infiltrates the culture and indoctrinates the youth, they're not just teaching them math. They're not just teaching them how to read. You've got to be aware of the Chaldeans. And so we see that the point is this, that there is a direct attack on youth to indoctrinate them in the demonic teachings that are anti-God. And then once they've indoctrinated them, look what they do next. In, in Daniel chapter one, verse six, it says, among these were Daniel, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You didn't know that was their names, did you? Of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Pel- Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Meshach he called uh, Mishaal, he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So, what did they do after I infiltrate, after I indoctrinate? I changed their names. I changed the people's identity. That the next tactic of the enemy is to try to change your identity to try to label you and try to tell you who you are. Because if I can get you away from what your God says, then I can make you believe anything. And then if I can get you not to believe who your God says you are, then you can believe who I say that you are. And so often in our culture, we live in a time today that people are so confused about who they are because they've heard different stories. They've been turned away from what God says that they are. And can I tell you, you might can change my name, but you can't change my nature. You can't change who's inside of me. That the kingdom that I live in is not greater than the king that's inside of me. And so we must understand we can't fall trapped to people trying to change who we are, trying to cause us to question and doubt and confuse. And so we see the attack. We see the plan clearing and and Daniel saw it. And so maybe you're like Daniel and you're like, what is going on? What do I do, God? I see what's happening. I see the plan unfolding before our eyes. I, I oftentimes think maybe it's a little too late. God, what do I do? Well, Daniel did what we should do in Daniel chapter one, verse eight. It says, but Daniel, all this was going on, but Daniel, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He resolved. That word right there means to make your heart firm, to make it fit, fixed, to make it set. So when when him and his friends are being offered food that would defile their body, they refused. When they were told to worship gods that weren't their gods, they refused. And when they were told to pray to idols, they said, no, we will not. And so that's why they experienced persecution. They made a decision to stand when everybody else around them was bowing. They made the decision that I will not compromise on what the word of God says. And can I tell you, church, that there are people in the church that are compromising that which is uncompromisable. They're questioning that which is unquestionable. They're doubting that which is undoubtable, that the word of God is true that the word of God is real and it's relevant to our life. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Daniel stood up. He stood up. He stood up and he said, enough is enough. I resolved in my heart. I'm not going to do it. And that decision came at a cost. Just like we talked about earlier that the decision to follow Christ, you got to count the cost. Daniel had to count the cost. The decision to live for Jesus comes at a cost. And so when they were infiltrated, indoctrinated, and Daniel and his friends stood up against that, against the culture, against the indoctrination, against the attempt to change their identity, the Bible shows us clearly what's going to happen next. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. Maybe you know the story, but King Nebuchadnezzar calls for everybody to bow down, to worship the false god to worship this golden statue and Daniel's three friends, they won't do it. And so somebody tells on Daniel and his three friends. They snitched on him, brought him to the king and King King Nebuchadnezzar said, what in the world is going on? Why won't you bow down? I'm gonna let it happen one more time. I'm gonna give you one more chance. And if you don't bow, you're gonna burn. You see the last tactic of the enemy. When you stand in the face of the enemy and say enough's enough, I'm standing firm. The last tactic that he has is intimidation, that he will intimidate the faithful. If you don't bow, you'll burn. If you don't do this, there's repercussions. If you still do this, you're gonna get fined. If you do this, you're gonna be imprisoned. If you do that, and they're always trying to intimidate you. You know, I find it funny that when King Nebuchadnezzar originally took the youth, he took over 10,000 youth, but yet there was only three that wouldn't bow. There was only three that wouldn't bow. Daniel and his friends chose not to bow. And so the enemy, the enemy of this world, the enemy against God, that's against God, that's waging war against God is coming against us, trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And they're trying to intimidate, to cause us to fear, to cause us to panic. But the Bible told us that as followers of Jesus, it's going to happen. And we don't rejoice in so like, we don't, we're not, We're not happy because we suffer. We're not looking for pain. We're not like, oh, I love the pain. I enjoy the pain. No, it's because Jesus is so worthy and our hearts delight in the fact that we identify with him. And so we get to see the response of these three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter three, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. But if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace for he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve any other gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He said, even if you don't, even if God doesn't, I'm still not gonna do it. I'm not gonna shrink back. I'm not gonna compromise. Your intimidation won't work for me. They were willing to die for their king. That's the cost to follow Christ, being willing to die, to go to the grave, to be crucified. I know that's not popular. I know it doesn't draw a crowd. I know it's not something tweetable and something you could put on your refrigerator, but that's the cost of following Jesus. And then in verse 19, at this news, King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face changed. I think it's interesting that the Bible put that in there. It, it confirms the fact that the Chaldeans represented demons because that right there literally means the image of his face was altered because he was demon-possessed. He was filled with fury. The expression of his face, face, face changed. And then he did something out of character, another quality of somebody who's demon-possessed. He ordered the furnace that's already hot. It's already going to burn you up. He ordered it to be hotter seven times. doesn't make sense. If you keep reading, it talks about how he bound them up. Well, the ropes are going to burn. Why bound, why bound them up? He was doing out of character thing. They were, they, were, they were thrown in. They counted the cost. But thankfully, we know the end of the story. In verse 24, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, did we not throw in three? And they said, yes, King, we did. And he answered, but I see four. Four four men unbound walking around in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And their appearance, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. And then verse 26, King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And then they came out of the fire. And then it goes on to tell us that the fire had not had any power over them. The hair of their head was not singed. I love the details. The cloaks were not harmed. Not even the smell of fire came upon them. You see, in your persecution, you will discover divine protection. That you might know God as healer. You might know him as savior. He might've provided for you in ways that nobody else could provide. He might've healed your body in ways that you can't even explain. But in in the persecution, you will discover him as your protector, as your strong tower, that the righteous run to him and they are safe that you can experience divine protection. And then my last passage I want to read, I know it's a lot of scripture, but this is just my prayer for those who would persecute Christians. You know, we're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to pray for them and not curse them. This is what I'm praying would happen all across the planet as people persecute Christians. Verse 28 says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bless that God who sent his angel and delivered his saints, his servants, who trusted him and who set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their houses laid in ruins. There, for there is no other God, that's what I want them to say, that there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. So not only is the perse- in persecution do you discover your divine protection, but you also discover your divine promotion your divine promotion, that when you are persecuted and you stand up for righteousness sake and God does something miraculous in your life, he saves you, or maybe he gives you joy in the middle of it and you're acting totally countercultural to this world, then God begins to promote you in this world so that you can reach more and more people, that you can have more and more influence, that you can live uh, even brighter lives for him, that your light would shine out even further. And we see that. We see that God promoted them in the kingdom of heaven. And so we see that in every season of our life, we see that when we live out the gospel message, that we're bound for suffering, that it's going to happen. But we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. The Bible told us to rejoice, to rejoice and be glad because our reward is great in heaven. And now I know it's a little different. I know that it's not such encouragement. I know that you're like, whew. It's a lot to process. But if we're prepared for it, we can respond appropriately. If we're ready for it, then we know what God wants to do in it and through it. God might not cause the pain, the suffering, the persecution, but he can use it. He can use it for his glory and his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment right here where we've got to tackle some of the hardest teachings in your word. God, it's like the CrossFit of verses, man. It is hard. It's heavy. But Father, we don't run from it, shy away from it. We lean into it, knowing, God, that you put it in here for a reason, and you're preparing your children for what's to come. And Father, persecution might come. We don't know what's ahead for us, but we know who we serve. And so, Father, we just allow this moment to increase our faith, to believe that you are the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine a call, call according to your purpose, to your will. And so Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in this place. And Father, in this moment, we're now bowing in reflection of what you're saying. For some of us, we need to let our light shine more in the darkness. We need to press in a little bit more. For others, we need to start responding appropriately And praying for those who come against us, blessing those who come against us. And for others in the house today, you're hearing about a God who saves, delivers, heals, loves us, but the reality is, is that you feel far from him. And in this moment, others are reflecting and letting the Holy Spirit speak to them but you've never heard God speak to you. And you're far from him, that you're distant from him. But in this moment, through the Holy Spirit and his his power and what he's been doing in this service, you know that God is drawing you into a relationship with him. And today is the day that you're going to surrender to him and receive a new life, receive forgiveness, receive freedom, receive what you need to live out this walk. You've counted the cost and it fails in comparison to you being in the presence of the Lord and walking out the plan and the purpose that he has for your life. And so as others are bowed in prayer, in just a moment, we're going to respond by by worshiping more. Some will come to the altar. Some will come to the prayer team. Some will just give it their all in their seats. But your next step in this moment is that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're in the house today and that's your next step, I would love to pray with you. I wanna include you in a prayer they are all gonna pray in just a moment, just to, to celebrate. And I would, I would challenge you, if that's your next step, to go to the prayer workers. Share that with them. Let them pray with you, give you resources. Let them put some material in your hand. Let's do this faith thing together. But you're in the house today and you say, that's me. I'm giving my life to King Jesus today. Would you just slip up your hand real fast. Let me include you in this prayer. I see your hand, anybody else? I see your hand, anybody else? Today's my day, I'm giving my life to Christ, I'm giving it to King Jesus. I see your hand. Anybody else? All over this house, could we just stand to our feet together? We're gonna, we're gonna just pray to the Lord, we're gonna celebrate. Matter of fact, right now, would you just lift up a praise to Jesus for those who just gave their life to Christ? Let's pray together and let's respond and worship. Father, right now, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're for me and not against me. And Father, you are worthy of all praise and honor and all adoration. And so Father, for those who just lifted their hands, surrendered, confessed with their mouth that you are Lord, they believe in, in their heart that you rose from the grave, God. I'm thankful that they're saved. And so Father, I'm thankful that, that you have a plan and a purpose for them. Reveal it to them, oh God. And Father, just come now and inhabit the praises of your children as they lift you up. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, come on, let's respond to the Lord today.